Good morning, Good News Bible Church. You guys scared me a little bit this morning. Here, it's my week to preach, and some of y'all were a little close coming in today, and I looked around, and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to preach to about 12, but you guys made it just on time. So, as many of you know, we are still in our series on Nehemiah. And as we've done so, I'd just like to remind us of our series. You may catch that as a theme with me. I think it's very helpful to approach whatever our current sermon is to think where we have been. So as we've marched through Nehemiah, we've seen Nehemiah burdened with the estate of the walls of Jerusalem. Because the people were exiled and they had been cast out by enemies, Jerusalem had been destroyed, including their walls. And as their often exile here they get word or nehemiah gets word that though some people have been allowed to go back the walls are still broken down and with that burden in his heart the lord works with him to take him back to the land where they begin this project and when nehemiah got there one of the big tricks that he had to pull off was getting a labor force to rebuild the wall right so the king had outfitted him with materials with passes with a lot that he needed to get this job done but the last task that we saw him need to pull the last week was rallying the people in jerusalem to actually do the work and if you remember last week carlos gave a great sermon on how he did in fact rally those people they saw the need and in chapter three these people were working side by side People of all trades, people of all backgrounds and in their specific area, they knew their portion of the wall, their little piece of this mission, and they worked as a community and a family together to build this wall. As we see that trajectory going, it seems like we're on a bit of a high in the story, right? Everything's going well. And we've already had some little indications that there's some guys out there, this, this man Sanballat and Tobiah, who do not like this. They are not pleased. It says they were very displeased when they heard someone was seeking Jerusalem's interest. And today we're going to get a better indication of what happens when mockers arise and verbally attack the people of God when they're pursuing renewal. They verbally attack the people of God when pursuing renewal. So pray with me, and we'll get into this sermon today. Lord, I thank you. I praise you that you have brought us together this morning. I pray that this word would catch us where we're at today, that we would see that it applies to our lives now, that we would be uh, humbled and moved by it, that we would... Uh, inspect our hearts and see what you would have for us to hear from your word today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So if you're not there already, please turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, that's the fourth chapter of Nehemiah. We will begin in verse 1. But first, I want to ask you guys, have you ever had your excitement about something snuffed out by the ridicule of someone else. Sounds familiar to some of you. For example, perhaps when you were small and you enjoyed uh, your art at the table with your crayons and you were coloring or drawing, you would be so proud of your picture. 
And you, you know, you go and you show it to mommy and daddy. And of course, mommy and daddy tell you, oh, it's so good. Good job, little one. But then you show it to your older sibling. And what happens? They start to laugh and say, what, what is that even supposed to be? And for some of us, like myself, that dashed our young hearts. And then at VBS, they never could get us to do crafts. Right? When we hear that mockery after our best attempt, we were so proud and so happy. And it just takes the wind right out of our sails. Perhaps some of you were really excited to get back into exercise. And you just couldn't believe how proud you were when you got that mile down to a 10-minute mile. And you had to tell everybody... And your friend who's at the gym four times a week scoffs at you and says, oh, come on, man. How old are you, 70? I got mine down to under six the other day. And again, it kind of demoralizes you. You think, well, maybe I'm not the king of the gym I thought I was. And it can intimidate you to go back, right? And then sometimes, perhaps, it was when you uh, you were a... 18-year-old senior in high school, and you decided what it was you wanted to do for a living, and you finally, it seemed a bit out there for you, it wasn't quite your normal thing, and so you told your dad. He said, oh, I don't know, I don't know about that, son, that sounds a bit of a reach for you. And it stung in your heart a little bit, and you kind of gave that up and thought, maybe I'll go for something a little more manageable. You see, what I want us to see today is that mockery and scoffing is not a matter of sticks and stones will break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Words do hurt us. They affect us greatly. And what we need to be aware of as we seek renewal and we seek the Lord's plan in our lives, in our communities, in our churches, in our homes... We need to be aware that when someone mocks us or scoffs us, it's going to affect us. And so today, as we examine a passage that is very much about that, as we find Israel on this high where they're banding together as a community, mockery is going to come their way. And the question for us to keep our eyes on is how will they respond to it? And then to consider for ourselves, brothers and sisters... When mockery comes our way as we pursue the Lord's will for our lives, how will we respond to it? Okay, so with that in mind, meet me in Nehemiah 4.1. Now it came about that when Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump up on it, He would break the stone wall down. Here in verses 1 through 3, we see a verbal onslaught from two of these enemies of Jerusalem. And what I want us to consider first as we look at these verses is, is to understand where mockery comes from. 
Because as I study this and I think about this, what I've realized is that no matter what kind of mockery we're talking about, whether it's a small slight or it's something as aggressive as this, behind all mockery is some sense of disdain for the person or thing that we mock. You see, you you can see it in verses 1 and 2, that he mocked who? The Jews. And then he spoke in verse 2, in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? So we need to understand in our text here, there is very much a racial tone going on here, racial and relational to what these two people groups had uh, a conflict between them in their setting, right? And because of these things, the Jews were someone that Samballot had a deep-rooted, inherent disdain for. And And because of his disdain for them, he is attacking their person, their capability. He says, can they rebuild it? Can they do this thing? He has this inherent answer, no, behind what he's saying. He looks at the task they're biting off. He looks at the thing they seek to accomplish, and he concludes, you guys are getting too big for your britches. You can't do this. You know, you might think of it today as a a bit of a goody-two-shoes complex that he's assuming that they have. And because of that, he has this sense, oh, no, 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 you need to get back down in your place and realize your limitations. But think about the dynamic here. In him analyzing their person, their abilities... Their potential, what their place is, he lifts himself up over them as an all-knowing judge of their lives and their potential. And he has this air of superiority. So that's one thing about the nature of mockery that we have to understand. It's rooted in this disdain, and it results in the mocker putting themselves in a place over the mocked and thinking themselves better. But we see here as we analyze the mockery, it isn't just that their person and potential is being attacked. That's what Sam Ballot does in those first verses. But then we see what Tobiah says. Tobiah actually attacks their product. Right? Tobiah looks at the wall that they are constructing. And we see from the last verse of our text that we haven't gotten to reading yet that the wall is maybe about to be joined up at this point to about half of its height. So like all the way around, they have this wall jointed, like there's no gaps left, but it's still pretty short. So he's looking at the product. He's analyzing it. He says, even what they have done, the fox jumps on it, it would go splat. You see... In mockery, we see that our, not only our person, but our efforts are attacked. And that will be true for us today as well. Because what I want us to see then, as we think about this mockery that then happened to the Jews as they're rebuilding the wall, as they're seeking renewal for their people, I want us to know that there is a disdain for the people of God today. 
How many of you have run into this disdain, this hostility towards biblical Christianity? It's a very real thing that we have to look for in our world. We can't expect that everyone out there is on our side, right? Jesus, when he left, says that they'll hate you because they hated me. They, they do not love the Father as we love the Father. They do not love the ways of our God as we do. And so it's to be expected that we'll run into this. So some of the mockery that we may feel from the world will come against our person. Things like our, our views on sexual purity. Any, any Christian young man who goes off to a college dorm will quickly find that his ethic for sexual purity is under fire and mockable by his floor mates, right? And anyone else too, even at work. And thus there'll, there'll be this mocking, this sense, oh, oh you still old-fashioned like that? Oh, come on, man, you still listen to what your grandma told you? Some may mock our narrow-minded views on marriage as some see it, right? Do you really think that marriage is just between one man and one woman? Come on, man, you've got to let love be love. What are you about? And they think you, you've lost it. You, you're a screw loose. How dare you sit over someone like that? Perhaps we get mockery for being hypocrites. People out there have seen, they know... They saw Mark Driscoll go off the rails. They know about James McDonald. They've heard recent comments of John MacArthur. And they're ready to pounce on any of that and say, you see, you follow these leaders of your Christian faith, but they really fall flat on their nose. What are you even thinking, thinking you're better than me to tell me anything? Bunch of hypocrites. And they would mock us in that way and think we're even silly for the claims that we dare to make. And then perhaps at the most foundational, that they would think that we are simple-minded for even believing in an old book written by dead men and thinking that it could be inerrant after all of those years. And anyone with half a brain knows that a book passed down through all those generations must have gone through all kinds of changes and is in error. Right? Anybody could put that together simple. Right? We feel the tone of this. We've all heard this. We receive this in our workplaces. We receive this from family members, from neighbors. This is the view of the world. And we need to be braced to understand that there will be many who attack our person, our intelligence, and our character as it was true in their day. And already I want you to think about when that happens in your life. Is it discouraging? Does it hurt? Or is it angering? They will also attack our product though. Not just our person but our product. How many times will the the church, the world look at the church... And say, oh, your mission is to gather a bunch of people under a roof and share your message with them. Well, guess what? You're not doing so hot. Look, look at the few people that you can muster and rally around in a room. But us in the world, when we have some kind of event, when we have a message dispute, when we want to take something to the streets and proclaim it in a protest, we get a lot more people than you do. 
your, your attempts are meager and weak at best just to gather people and to present your message. They could attack that product. Perhaps they look at us and say, you say you're going to shelter the homeless, feed the hungry, and so on and so forth. And yet my completely, uh, you know, religiously neutral uh, social group, we can do a lot more of that than you can at your church. You're not getting anything done there. And even church involvement. The volunteers that I have at my nonprofit are twice as committed as your church members. They'll serve more. They'll serve longer. They'll go harder. And yet you... Christians dare preach to me. How dare you? And they would mock us. So we see this here and we wonder again. I would ask you, is that discouraging? Or does that make you angry? Because the odds are one of those two will be your response. Now that we've thought some about Where mockery comes from, what mockery towards us might look like, I want us to consider these two responses. Pain and discouragement or anger and a desire to fight back. You see, I would say that those are the two primary dangers when we are mocked. And we're going to look at our text and we're going to think about for the Jews... As Samballot and Tobiah say these things about them, what are the dangers there? What are these dangers? Suppose Nehemiah gets word. You know, Samballot talks this smack in front of all of his buddies. He's with the wealthy men of Samaria. Does it sound familiar in the desire at all that Nehemiah would go up, pound on this door, say, Hey, Samballot, I heard you're talking smack. Let's get out here and fight this thing out. I'll pound you in the street. You're talking smack about my people. Right? Anger. Anger is a very real uh, response that would make sense here. But I actually want us to consider first discouragement. First discouragement. And I want us to think discouragement is perhaps the greatest danger to us when we are mocked, when we know they're right. When we know that something that our mocker is saying is actually true. For instance, Sam Ballot says these feeble Jews could never pull this off. I wanted to submit to you that probably could have hit a lot of these Jews right where they were at. Remember, Carlos was telling us last week in chapter three, these people are not builders. You're not you're not just talking smack about a bunch of stonemasons who know they got this. This is goldsmiths. This is perfumers. People who do not know what they are doing. And have never taken on anything this monumental or been empowered to do so. So when they hear this, it would be easy to be discouraged in realizing the attack is true. I'm not capable. I'm not able. This is beyond me. For how many of us here is that true when we hear the ridicule towards the church, when we hear the ridicule towards the people of God and what we're supposed to be about? You're not able to do that. Good news, Bible Church, you're not able to reach this community. That's a lot of hard work. And you're not showing me that you got it. 
we can be discouraged. You're, you're not actually able to get this relationship fixed. You don't have the tools for that. You've both gotten to the end of your rope. You can't do that. And we become, become discouraged when we realize that the mockers have some points. That they've rightly assessed some of our weaknesses. And so we can want to give up because of the truth thrown in our face. Another place that it's very dangerous in this discouragement is the matter of affirmation. See, I realized about myself as I studied this week, and it's probably true for some of you as well, I need affirmation to keep going. I've known this in my workplaces for years. So as long as my boss can look at me and tell me, you're doing a good job, Caleb, keep it up, I can keep it up for a long time. But I can be, I never will forget, I worked at a funeral home once. I was at the end of my rope. I'd probably been working 10, 11 hours. We still had about three or four to go. It was a crazy day. Lots of deaths, a lot of work to be done around a funeral home. And I thought I was running on empty. I was about to go home without permission, just go home. And my boss simply looked at me while I was in the back and said, Caleb, you've done good work today. Keep it up. I appreciate you. You're the only thing around here that keeps me sane. And I was good to go for the next number of hours because I was encouraged by the affirmation. It helped me keep going. Some of you really relate to that because you're like me. You need that affirmation. Well, guess what? This is the opposite of affirmation that we receive when we receive mockery. And because of that, if we, if we rely on affirmation to know we're going the right direction and to find our courage to keep going, then we'll quit. When mockers rise. You understand? So you're, you're trying to pursue the Lord in this church and know how you fit in, how you plug in. But it's really hard. It's hard to even make the time in your schedule to be active in a ministry, to pour into anyone else. And then you don't receive any affirmation. And instead, someone at work scoffs you for the time you put into your church. The next thing you know, it just kind of collapses and you want to give up. You want to quit. Right? So I warn you against when we're, we're receiving mockery, this affirmation-driven lifestyle and mindset is dangerous to you. So I want you to see and feel when someone mocks you, there's a huge danger there. And so it's important what you are going to do with it. So be aware of your, the discouragement that may come. Now, as I tell you that, I want you to be aware that there's a common answer to the discouragement that you will face in the world. See, the world would tell you, and many preachers will tell you, when you are discouraged by the haters. Well, guys, you just got to go prove the haters wrong. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do better, and show them that they have you pegged all wrong. Double down your efforts, reach your full potential, and blow them all away and stand in vindication. But I want to remind us of that first point about discouragement. Sometimes the mockery may be true. And if the mockery about our own weakness is true, if we are truly weak and we cannot cut it, then it will not do to look internally into ourselves and say, oh, yeah, I got this. You may do a little better for a little while, but then you will collapse again and be left with no hope. No, the hope of the Christian, the hope of the believer 
is to look to God instead and to say, I don't have this on my own. Yes, I am feeble, but the Lord is with me. This was the hope of the Jews in Nehemiah. Their hope wasn't that I'm an awesome stonemason and that I can figure this out. When Nehemiah rallied these people, his word to them was, the Lord is with me. The Lord is with us. And we're going to see that later on in this chapter again, that they were leaning on the Lord's hand to enable them. So when mockers come and you feel discouraged in any of your endeavors, I want you to remember, don't fall to that trap to look within. Look to God. It is him that holds us up. Let us never forget that. But then we need to be moving. Uh, Not only would you potentially be discouraged by mockery, you might be angered by mockery. And I have to open with the caveat that on one hand, that's okay. All right? We will be angered by mockers. There is a righteous anger that we should have. First of all, when anyone is treated that way. Mockery, disdaining people, belittling people, belittling their dreams and desires. That's never appropriate, right? And so there's an inherent anger that is correct. But what I would warn you about is the toll that anger can take on you. As I mentioned, suppose Nehemiah gets together his crew and they decide they're going to go have it out with Samballot. And they get in a big hollering match, an arguing match. Maybe it even turns into a fight. And then you get a bunch of your workers injured. Among other things, what is not getting done? They're not building a wall, right? The mockery of their mission, if you respond to it in anger and say, I'm working on something, I'm getting mocked from over here. So I'm going to abandon what I'm working on to fight these people, to get in arguments with these people, to have all of my energy, attention, and all of my time taken up in this, then the mission gets left behind. And guys, that can happen to you and to me as well. I've just seen it so many times. The anger towards those who attack the church can take people in the church. And get this, the funny thing about it, not really comically funny, perverse thing about it is the one mocked and disdained becomes full of mockery and disdain for the other people you get down on their level being reviled you revile unlike christ and before you know it they they're angry at you and spitting venom at you for being a homophobe and you're over here spitting venom at them for trying to take over everything with their lgbtq movement right and you're just in a shouting match now of course you need to hold your views but i'm talking about the anger and the arguing that can go on and there's there's other things too whether that be the the sexual movement or our views on scripture or creation whether it was evolution or creation or whether the flood was worldwide or whether it was local all these kind of issues i've seen people get so sucked up into that and just spew venom to everyone who disagrees friends i i will warn you about that when someone mocks you on your views on things don't let anger take root and pull you away from seeking renewal because guess what when we fall into that nothing gets built up except our blood pressure Nothing gets edified 
We don't look more like Jesus. Others don't look more like Jesus. And people don't see Christ in us. It's a big L when we fall to anger. So anyway, I've told you a couple things to watch out for and to not do. Don't fall to discouragement. And certainly don't try to get yourself out of discouragement by looking to your own abilities. Also, don't fall into anger. Not, not in hateful spewing towards those who attack you. So then, that leaves us the question, what then should we do? How should we handle mockers and mockery? Well, let's look to the text in verse 4. Hear, O our God, what we are, that we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you. For they have demoralized the builders. So we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. What we see the, the Jews of Nehemiah's day doing so well here is handing over the mockers to God. They did not argue with them and fight them. They did not sit around and contemplate their words over and over again. They realized it was demoralizing speech. They called it for what it was. They realized it was meant to keep the builders from building. And they took it to God and they kept building. And what I want you guys to hear and know today is that if we will do that as a church, as the people of God, we'll be surprised with the ways that he will use us to build things up greatly. If we will just keep our our minds centered and focused on our task, whether that's working with the kids and God's kids, whether that's working with the kids in Juana, whether that's pouring into our mosaic, whether that's a couple people that you're discipling, whatever it is, if we'll just focus on the task and let everything else go to God, we'll be surprised at the ways that he makes us productive. But I would be remiss if I didn't handle this quickly today. Some of you are looking at that response that they pray as they hand them over. They say, hear, O our God, how we are despised. I want us to see here that there's a message in that. He's saying, uh, hear it and do something about it, right? And then he continues to say, return reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. In their response, there's not much room for grace, is there? This doesn't feel much like loving your enemies and do good to those who persecute you, does it? So what do we do with that? I want us to think about and consider what they're ultimately calling for. I believe in my study of this, their heart is for justice. What they want is for the same inconsiderate, unkind uh, situation that has come on to, to them as the Jews to come on to their oppressors. Because if you think about it, they've been through a lot as a people Israel has. Sambal and Tobiah are not taking that in consideration at all. And all of this vitriol going towards them is the last thing that any decent human being would do to someone who's been through what Israel's been through. So there's a righteous call for justice here. That is what they deserve. And I think it's right for us today to call for justice on those who mock. 
But when it comes to justice, there is something that has happened since the days of Nehemiah that changes the way that we can stand towards it. You see, because of Advent, because of the coming of a king to this earth, everything can be different about justice, can it? Because when Jesus Christ comes, he teaches us something about justice that we didn't fully understand before. And that, that's that justice can take place on that cross. So the hope that we can pray for, for those who mock us, isn't what they pray for. They pray that their mockers would go into captivity like they had and they would experience all the pain that they had experienced so that they would understand. And when we are mocked, I hope that our hearts cry out and say, Lord, let them experience not the captivity, but the freedom that we know in Christ. And it flips this scenario all on its head. And yes, we seek justice, but our heart would be, Lord, let justice be found for them on the cross where the lamb was slain for you and for me. And it can be for our mockers as well, because ultimately what the Jews hearts long for is vindication and justice. And I want us to know vindication and justice is coming for the people of God. Because then those who said to us, where is your God? Will be trampled as mire in the streets. Straight out of Micah. So let us not be too quick to want to see them pay. But let us want to see them turn to Christ and live And join us and be edified and be built up. And here's the beauty of that. If we can handle mockers in that way, that's actually part of our mission of renewal and edification and building what the Lord has for us. So if you handle it wrongly, if you handle mockers in your life wrongly, you actually miss the opportunity to see another stone built on top of that chief cornerstone, which is Christ. So... That brings me to this conclusion then. In being mocked in this world, we have to beware of discouragement. We have to beware of our anger. But there is an opportunity. Because in Christ, the mocker can become one of those built up in Christ. And in fact, part of our mission. Oh, the great irony. We've seen it before. We've seen it in Paul, right? Many other people through history who fought the church were against the church, mocked the church, only to become another great builder alongside us. So I pray for us today that that would be our heart. I'm going to pray now as the band comes. Father in heaven, we look to you today as your people, and we thank you that you have done everything.